Okay, we're going to pass out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand. We do this every single week, so do not feel weird about it. We'd love for you to be able to turn through the pages with us to be able to navigate through the scriptures. And so the interns will do that. If you want one, just slip your hand up. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. Please just keep this one, and it's yours. Okay? That being said, while those are being passed out, here's where we've been. Now, I want to recap us real quickly because a lot of these students have been gone for the summer, but we've been staying through the book of Ephesians. We're about three quarters through the way of book of Ephesians. If you're not familiar with what Ephesians is, it's a letter written from one of the leaders of the early church named Paul to a church in Ephesus, and he's encouraging them and he's exhorting them to live a life that is congruent with the gospel. When we say gospel, we mean the good news that Jesus Christ came and lived a life we could not live, a perfect life. He died the death that humanity deserved to die as a punishment for our sin. He did that for us on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, granting new life, redemption, restoration, and then a job description for it, meant to go out to the world. All of that is good news for us and good news to the world. Amen? And so because of the gospel, okay, because of all of this, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus to encourage them in that, that they would live a certain type of faithfulness centered around Jesus and the gospel. Okay? Now, over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 weeks, we've had this vision and this calling from Scripture to mature and grow up into being more like God. And we posed the question to the students over the summer and over to the families in the summer uh, about what they wanted to be when they grew up, okay? We asked the students, hey, what are you studying? What do you want to be when you grow up? And so I just I, I want to ask again, now that you students are back, just give me a few answers. What are you students studying that you want to be when you grow up. And so just a few people who are bold enough to share what you're studying and what you want to be. Yeah, my man. Physical therapy? Physical therapist. Okay. What else? High school English. High school English. Teacher? Yeah? No one be a student forever? Okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm going to go back to school. Uh, what else? Give me a couple more. Construction management. That makes sense. Good call. Okay. One more. Yes. Graphic design. Okay, here's what's great. Those are phenomenal and fantastic, and I do believe that God has brought you to NAU and will train you in those professions, that you would use those professions to be an object of God's common grace and care to the world, that he will help cultivate and care for other people because of what you do vocationally. Now, when we grow up, and even now as you go to school, students, even us as adults, we can get caught up in, man, when I grow up or when I get older, I want this, and we aspire to a job or a vocation. Now, it's not wrong to, uh, to aspire to a job or vocation. It's wrong to ultimately aspire to a job or vocation. What we notice in the book of Ephesians is that what Paul encourages the Christian to do is aspire to Jesus, right? That it's no longer a what do you want to be when you grow up. It's a who do you want to be when you grow up. When you get older, as you mature per the Spirit of God, that the goal for the Christian would be, you know what? I want to be like Jesus, I want to love like Jesus, I want to live like Jesus, I want to talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, pray like Jesus, etc. And so what the Spirit of God does in us is that work of continuing to sanctify and renew and reform us, right, that we might walk in the way that Christ has walked. And so this is all important because this, what we studied over the last couple weeks was one, we are children of light, Christians are called out of darkness into light, and yet last week... We live in a world that is filled with some dark things. 
Now, when those two things come together, you have a children of light meant to bring light to the darkness. How do we do that? And the answer is the Spirit of God. The answer is walk and be filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's what we're going to move towards today. That's our hope. Now, let's start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. If you're not there, start turning there. If you don't know where that is, have the neighbor help you find it. Ephesians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, okay, so therefore meaning it's there for a reason. What happened? Everything we've talked about, that the gospel, okay, changes us, calls us in, adopts us, that we've been given a job description now to go to the world and carry out a gospel-centered life, that we're children of light in the midst of a broken world. Now, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? So let's, let's just talk about foolishness. I remember... Uh, this was probably late high school, maybe the transition from high school to college. We, I, like, one of my favorite things in life for the largest part of my life was snowboarding. Like, I loved snowboarding. We got any snowboarders in here? Okay. Any skiers? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, we'll change that. I remember every year in the winter, we would pick a different place to go to. Me and my buddies, we'd get together, we'd say, hey, where are we going this year? So we've been to Whistler, we do Jackson Hole, Telluride, but our favorite spot we'd constantly go back to was Park City, Utah, okay? We had a buddy that lived in Salt Lake, so we'd stay at his place, we'd drive to Park City, we'd do canyons, we'd never do Deer Valley because it's skiers only, you elitist jerks. Um, and then we would do Park City, it was just this phenomenal time we would have together. And so there's this moment, okay? where you as a human being see, don't go back here, and you think, well, that's where I'm going to go, okay? And so we come off the lift, and we had just seen this amazing run underneath the lift with a bunch of sweet cornices and drops, and it was just going to be a ton of fun and really good snow. And so we come up to where you would enter into uh, this not really run, but this off-terrain type thing, and there's a giant sign with orange. You've all seen it. It says, like, don't trespass here or closed, uh, this will kill you, okay? Uh, and so we say, sweet. And so we go underneath it, and we start working our way through, and we get to this point in the run. And it's just below the lift, so people are watching us, right? And all of a sudden, you peer over, and it's a decent-sized cornice, probably about 25 feet or so, nothing too crazy. But So you see it down, you're like, okay, but in order to get over it, there is a massive boulder, Okay? that's about five feet down that you have to clear in order to be able to get to the bottom. Otherwise, you just get yourself wrecked, right? And so here's the thought process for those that are there that day. We're thinking, okay, the wise thing is let's go back up because this will probably kill us. Um, the foolish thing is what we went with, which was we got this, okay? So the fool says in his head, even in the midst of clear danger, in clear boundary, in clear this is what you should do, the fool says, I got this, I'll do it anyway. And so we got our most impressionable friend to go first, Dan, and we said, Dan, you got this, buddy, we're pumping him up. And sure, here's how you do it. When you go to the left, there was this little lip that would hopefully give you a nice pop-off to clear the boulder. Dan tries to go left, his edge catches, and then he just falls face first into the boulder, off the boulder, tumbles down and falls into a tree, okay? Yeah, I know, and I'll laugh now, but it was screaming, and there was some choice language, right? We weren't Christians then, but honestly, even if we were, there would have been some choice language. We would have <laughs> repented afterwards, okay? But, okay, like, it was serious, and so he's upside down, his legs are wrapped around this tree, and so again, the wise thing is, that didn't go well for Dan. We should probably go up and get help. 
We went the foolish route again and said, ah, Dan's not very good. We got this, okay? <laughs> so then Matt steps up. Matt actually gets to go left, hits the lip, but the back of his board catches the boulder, and he goes tumbling down, falls into the same tree, okay? <laughs> the wise thing would be Vince. Go back up. Get help. I said, no, I got this, okay? And so like a lemming, jumps off a cliff. I go, I got this. And I do, and I go, and I clear the boulder, and I land on the two guys, okay? <laughs> Dan broke his leg. Yeah, I know, poor Dan. <laughs> he wasn't very good. We should have never had him. Um, now, hear me. That's a silly-ish story, right? That's the type of stuff we do every day before God. Because hear me, the ski patrol, they knew what was down there, right? They, they probably already were helping people off of that part of the mountain that also were foolish and didn't listen. They knew what was best for the public. They were the professional. Now, there are numerous times in your life, right, whether it be your boss, kids, students, even now, for your parents, like, they're the professional, right? They know more. They've seen life. They understand. And so, listen, listen, and if you don't, you're just a fool. Like, I, I was foolish to think that I was capable. I was foolish to think I got this, even though everything around said, no, it was a terrible idea, okay? God is the ultimate professional of this world. He created the world. Hear me. He created you. Like, he thought you up. He formed you in your inward parts, like inside your mother's womb. He brought you together. He intimately knows your mind, your heart, your desires, your actions, your life, and he knows them better than you know yourself, and he knows the world the same way. So if he knows you and he knows the world, surely he knows the best way this life is lived. And so when he says, hey, friends, like everything we've talked about, be centered, a life centered on the gospel, Right? A life that walks in light and not darkness, that forsakes the sins that so uh, entrap us and draw us from God and hurt others. Like, surely we would say, well, that's just obvious. You're God. I will walk in wisdom and make the right decision. But no, we're too often fools. And so this is not a new thing for us today. This was something the church has been battling since the beginning. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 or 3. When the fall happens, it was fools that said, I know better than you. Disobey God. Sin enters the world. We've been living in this cycle of God. I got this. Walking like fools outside the gospel. Now, hear me, church, Christians, may it not be. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is is. And this is, hear me, this is will at the macro level. This isn't, hey, like, Vince, I want you to go left right now instead of right. This is everything he's talked through through the book of Ephesians. Know that this is what I have done, what I'm doing, and what I'm calling the church to. Walk in that. Be faithful to that. Otherwise, you're just foolish. We, we fit, here's what we do. We mask foolishness, calling it freedom. And it's just foolishness to say, God, now you don't know what you're talking about, man. I'll, I'll do, I'll take care of this. I'll reject that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Moving into verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? 
So do not get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now this is such an interesting contrast. He goes from this line, hey, don't be fools. Know what the will of the Lord is, this huge macro thing. And he seems to narrow down in this very specific sin. He's like, hey, this is all big stuff. Oh, and don't get drunk. But see, here's the key, right? The key is in the second part of verse 18. In the contrast between part A and part B of verse 18 is where we see the power here. Because let's understand, wine, it's popular now. It was crazy popular in the Mediterranean. Like, it, it flowed like water, okay? Like, if you watch all the old movies, there's this wine dribbling down hairy chests everywhere, right? Like, that's, that's the scene you get. And so here's what happens, right? When you, when you consume too much wine or other beverages in that genre, right, uh, some things begin to change, right? Things begin to happen in your mind. Certainly, your judgment seems to change a little bit. And there's something that kind of goes off in your brain that should elicit happiness, uh, but sometimes elicits anger, ironically enough. Okay, so there's all these different things that change. Now, here's where that contrast comes into play. So if wine, right? So if wine makes us not think great, okay? We don't think very clearly. If, if it, if it kind of messes up our judgment, we don't make great decisions. Uh, and then it makes us happy, right? What is the contrast to that? Or hear this. If wine inhibits our decision-making ability and our ability to fully be ourselves as we fully are, here's what the Spirit does the exact opposite. So this text is not focusing on don't be drunk, although, listen, don't be drunk. But the focus is on be filled with the Spirit of God, which is far greater and better than anything this world, including alcohol, can offer. Because in every way where wine would inhibit you, or would take away inhibition, rather, the Spirit of God says, no, 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 I'm going to inhibit you, but I'm going to inhibit you in a way that brings life. You want freedom? Walk by the Spirit. Right? So it's completely, wine's like, inhibition gone. Spirit's like, no, nah, dude, I'm giving some inhibition. Right? I'm going to give some rails to your life. The wine says, hey, you know, we're going to change the way you think. Okay? We're going to set you free. No, the Spirit's like, no, I'm going to tell you how to think. I'm going to give you counsel. I'm going to give you conviction. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to let you know what it's like to live the life of Jesus. These are all the things. Wine makes us lose control. Literally, a fruit of the Spirit per Galatians is self-control. Right? Like the, the contrast is we, be filled with the Spirit. It's so much greater. You know the word for debauchery in the text here? The word in Greek literally means unsaved unsavedness it's saying listen if, if you buy into this if you buy into this way of living into this darkness and this way of the world you're living as if you're not even a Christian like the, and that's what Anthony talked about two weeks ago like it's an identity issue you're not living who you are so instead pursue the spirit pursue the spirit of God the last one let's just think about it right like Generally, depending on how much you had, you wake up that next morning and that wine is judging you harshly, friend. Okay? But the Spirit of God gives new mercies every morning that even when we fail, we wake up and try again. Okay? That even though there's a few boneheads that would say, no, I got this and go down a run they should never go on, <laughs> God says, no, man, I'll pull you out of the tree so you can try again. See, so the Spirit convicts, it counsels but then it also is the conduit for the grace of God in life that reminds you that mercies are new. Wake up, friend, pursue Jesus today. Be filled with the Spirit 
of God. Okay, so uh, dare I say, and this is the cheesiest joke you'll hear today, but hopefully it sticks, but dare I say you should pursue the spirit and not spirits. Thank you. Okay? You could tweet that. Okay? So good. I told that. <laughs> I told that to people in the office, like, dude, don't say that. And I said, I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, how do we do this? So that becomes a question. It's a question I said in the beginning. Well, you asked for a prayer for. So if this sounds good, okay, I'm in, Vince, right? Like, let's pursue the Spirit. Let's be filled with the Spirit. How? Like, how do we do that? Now, Romans 8 9, I think, um, is where we have to start. Because if we are to be filled with the Spirit, it starts with us knowing that the Spirit is in the believer. Okay? Romans 8 9, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Christian, hear me. If you're here and you love Jesus and you're his, adopted in, he gave you his spirit to dwell in you, to possess you, to shape you, to mold you, to make you more like Christ. Okay. So, so we have to know this and remember this and reflect on this beautiful reality. And then we live out the precepts of Scripture that it calls us to. So there are four imperatives about the Spirit of God in Scripture, four do this is or don't do this is. And so let's look at those real quick. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, okay? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. Like, the Spirit can get upset. Like, you can frustrate and grieve the Spirit of God in you through disobedience. So I've been a father for two, uh, of two boys now for four years. Finley just turned four this week. And my kids are perfect, but other kids struggle with stuff. Okay, so some other kids were told, you better hold my hand when we're in the street. Okay, again, I think this is probably Anthony and his kids. So, and Anthony's kids were disobedient one day, okay? So, the, so Anthony the other day is at Target, and he's walking with uh, his, his son, Amelie, his daughter, Amelie, or his son, Finley, and, uh, and, and, and Anthony has this rule that, hey, if you're in the street, like, we hold hands. Like, that's just what we do. Because Anthony doesn't want his kid, his kid, want his, doesn't want his kid to get hit by a car, okay? I'm switching to me. It's too hard to tell from Anthony's perspective. So let's pretend it's me, okay? So, um, so I'm like, Finley, dude, hold, hold my hand. Now, as Finley gets older, okay, and he's four now, so he's king of the world, right? Uh, he begins to think a little more autonomous of me. And he starts thinking, you know... I know how to walk over there. And he that sidewalk's just 15 feet away across the street. I can get there. Dad taught me how to look at cars. I look both directions. And so all of a sudden, the thing that I've set in place for him to do so that he stays healthy and alive and Verity doesn't kill me, right, he stops doing as he starts to think, no, I got this. Already, age four, he starts seeing it. I'm like, hold my hand. He's like, mm-hmm. Kind of grabs it half-heartedly, sees a chicken. <laughs> Wait, doesn't see a chicken. Sees a squirrel, runs after the squirrel. <laughs> Ain't no, like, wild chickens running around at Target, okay? <laughs> sees, you yeah, know, squirrel, like, and he just goes, right? That's not a weird thing to say, okay? The chicken thing I get, but the squirrel thing's normal, okay? And so, and he starts chasing after stuff. Now, here's the thing. I get angry and I get frustrated, but that anger and that frustration is driven out of a heart of, dude, I love you. Please just listen. I don't want you to get hit by a car. 
So I'm grieved by the disobedience of Anthony's daughter <laughs> for not listening to him, okay? You can grieve the Spirit of God. When we sin, when we disobey, it's not like he's impartial. He hates it. He's grieved by it. And he's in you. And so that pain and that, God, I don't that's the Spirit being like, dude, I don't like this. This is not what's best for you. Now, the next one, though, takes it to the next level. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Okay, so listen, the Spirit's role, convict, counsel. But what seems to happen over time is as you keep saying, no thanks, no thanks, switches to just no and then to nah, right? He's like, all right, do you. You're not, you don't, you don't want to listen? Do you. And he becomes quenched, like the conviction, the fire is quenched as we continue in disobedience and sin. And that's why, listen, sin gets easier and easier the farther we get into it, right? Like, all, and that's, you wonder why that is? Because the Spirit of God's like, all right, dude, do you. The Spirit is quenched in us. So many times I'll sit down with people and they'll talk to me about their sin as if it's like, oh yeah, and I did this. I'm like, okay, hear me. Like, I'm all about, and if you come to this church, if you've been here a while, or if you're going to keep coming, we're going to talk grace and the gospel ad nauseum. Like, it will get annoying how much we'll talk about the grace of God, but we also, listen, grace is only amazing because sin is that bad. So, we can quench the Spirit of God. We can grieve the Spirit of God. And so, hear me. You want to walk and be filled with the Spirit? Don't do those things. And that, that sounds like, well, Okay, no, don't do those things. Like, hey, listen, I want to be filled. Last two. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. Two last ones. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is moving. It's going. It has its own conviction. It's convicted by the ethics of the kingdom of God. It's the Spirit of Christ. It is Him embodied in you. And so it is moving forward in mission and engagement and love. And so hear me. You walk with it. Keep in, as it moves, all right, I'm with you. It moves, I'm with you. I'm there. Now, again, all this stuff is like, ah, it seems a little bit hard to wrap my mind around, Vincent. I agree. Romans 8, 5, I think, will help us. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit of God set their minds on things of the Spirit. So hear me, this is not like an accidental, you kind of fell upon the Spirit of God filling you. It is an active, intentional action of the Christian while centered on the gospel of Christ that allows his mind to continuously move to, Spirit, what are you about? God, what are you about? Jesus, what are you about? Kingdom of God, what are you about? That causes the mind to consistently move to, who is God? What does he want? Who am I? In other words, a reflection on everything Paul's talked about in the book of Ephesians. You are his, adopted in, predestined, grafted and chosen by God. You are saved. You are his, justified, sanctified by the Spirit, brought into the family of God, adopted. All these beautiful truths are true, but we forget them. So stop and intentionally set your mind on the things above. Now, the outworking of that, that's up to you. For me, listen, here's some recommendations. 
Read your Bibles. Now, again, like it's church. That's like, duh. But no, like you want your mind set on the things of Christ and the Spirit. Read the Bible that was inspired by the Spirit. Illuminated by the Spirit of God. Pray. Be in gospel-centered biblical community with people. Listen to worship music. Pray. Praise. Engage. Serve. Be on mission. Share the gospel. Philemon 1.6. I pray that you may be active in the sharing of your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Think about God. And do it as often as you can. Some of you, that happens in all different ways. Right? We have moments that like places, environments, contexts that just make us think on the things of God more than others. Go and do those things all the time. Sacrifice other things to do that more often. Okay? Like when I'm playing with my kids, that is truly a spiritual moment. Because I'm thinking through all the stuff of the Father and how he relates to me and it's, it's beautiful and I love it. But you know what I do sometimes? Instead, I forget my identity as father, and all of a sudden, I'll just whip out my cell phone and sit there on the couch while my sons play in front of me. I forget my identity as a father. I'm not doing much for them in that moment. And I need to snap out of it. Remember, wait, I'm their dad, and what draws me to the Spirit of God is engaging there. Some of you, it's going to be hike. I know a lot of you, the outdoors is a huge thing. Okay, go in it. Get outside, hike. Okay, if you hate the outdoors, one, shouldn't have moved here. Two, <laughs> even though you're here, that's God-ordained, so welcome. And find those places and the environments and the context where your mind is just always going, all right, God, all right, God, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. Really amazing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's, that's how we walk in this. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, where are we? I moved quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, verse 19. So here's then how we can tell if this is working, okay? What we get in verses 19, 20, 21, the last few verses we'll go over, we'll move quick, is the outworking of the Spirit-filled life. In other words, if this is going, this is a great test. You want to know if you're there? Look at these things. 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's the first one. Now, um, there's going to be those three externals from 19, 20, and 21, but it's, excuse me, wow, it starts inside. It starts internal, okay? So Galatians 5 is going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So love, patience, kindness, gentleness, okay, self-control, like it, these things. So in other words, the, the spirit-filled life is filled with the fruit of the spirit. It's filled through an internal transformation. So hear me, if you're not a kind person, okay, there's some spirit issues, Christian. Like if you, if you lack total control, it's some issues with the spirit of God in you. Like, you're not filled with the Spirit because this is the fruit and the outworking of that. Are you gentle? Okay? Like, are these the, the patterns of the internal reality of your life? For those who are filled in the Spirit of God, they will be. 
Okay? No, hear me. That doesn't mean you won't screw up. That doesn't mean you won't have a harsh word or a harsh moment. Okay? It just means that the general proclivity, what your heart returns to, right? Mercy is new every morning, clean slate. It's filled with kindness. Okay? Like, that's internal. Now, the three outworkings, okay? The three externals that we get from the text. The first one in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, joyful praise. The first outworking of a spirit-filled life is joyful praise. And hear me, joyful communal praise even. Have you guys, I mean, I imagine, and I'm going to do the hands thing because you guys aren't into that, I guess, but how many people have been to a, a concert before? Like you've been to a show, right? You do that. And when you, all of a sudden you're singing and you realize you're like singing to each other stuff about n- like nothing, right? Like we, I was at a wedding recently. It was a sweet, sweet couple that was here at the church. But you, all you know them, Ian and Nicole, that just got married up in, up in uh, Wisconsin. And so I was there doing the wedding. It's so sweet. And, uh, if you guys don't know Ian, he's like, I don't know, 5'3", just this really cool little tiny Brazilian dude. And, uh, and just one of my favorite guys. And growing up, when he was learning English and stuff, him and his Brazilian buddies, one of the favorite bands to listen to was Bon Jovi, which I just thought was sweet, right? And so we're at his wedding, and all of a sudden, and I'm not going to, you know, but you hear, oh, whoa, you know, the, the whoa, whoa at the beginning of living on a prayer. You guys know that song? And so all of a sudden, it's me, a couple white dudes, and like six Brazilians, all from crazy different backgrounds, uniting around Take my, no, I was, um, <laughs> y'all thought I was going to go. I wasn't. Um, and all, like literally we're jumping and we're elated and we're singing to each other. It's like, take my, we're grabbing hands. Like, take my hand, you know. And here's the thing, like we get into this space, we're singing to the creator of the world about salvation and the gospel. And it's like, I hear the Savior say, strength is indeed small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Now, some of you guys, like, if you're Anthony, if you've ever been around Anthony, that dude sings, okay? And you're like, tone it down, friend, right? <laughs> but no, I, hear me, and we're very clear about this. I'm not trying to attach holiness to how loud you sing. Please don't hear that. And I'm not trying to attach holiness to if you raise hands, you dance, or you stand still. I do want to speak to our hearts around this. Because in general, man, we come to these moments, we get to hear six songs every Sunday. And we sing them, and hear me, ultimate praise, ultimate glory, we sing them for God, right? God, it falls on his ears. He is to be glorified, magnified, made famous, celebrated in everything we do, particularly in worship and praise, okay? But there's this amazing piece that's saying the spirit-filled life We address each other in this stuff. So when we sing Jesus paid it all in communion time, what would it look like for us to look at one and say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Like what if we sang to each other in a way that we so believed it that even the unbeliever in here would be so enamored with the... Spirit is moving in a powerful way. Okay? Yes, Lord. Okay. That's the Spirit's amen. If you didn't know that, that's the way, that's the, way the Spirit does amen. So, 
What if we sang that way? What, what if we dared acknowledge, and hear me, like, we can't control the lights for some reason. They've just stopped working for us over the last few weeks, so it's brighter in here during worship than usual. And I noticed that people are like, oh, gosh, now they can see me, right? <laughs> what if that's the point? What if I'm supposed to be able to see my brother and sister praise God because it's supposed to then draw me to the spirit-filled life? What if that's supposed to say, yes, and amen, I agree. So we sing together in corporate worship. So the first outworking, externally. Okay, internally, all that stuff's going on. Externally, joyful praise. The second one, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, um, we're thankful for absolutely everything. And that is a tough place to be outside of a filling of the Spirit. Because hear me, I... I know that some of you are struggling with stuff, right? Like, I know deep, deep hurt that's even in the room. And hear me, I'm not telling you, say, hey, be thankful for hurting. I'm saying that in the midst of that hurt, there is this beautiful reality that exists that can draw our hearts to a joyful reality and thanksgiving of what God is and who, of what he's doing. That even in the midst of the deepest, darkest, that light would so shine. Praise God. When things are going well, here's what we tend to do. We don't thank God. We usually give ourselves a pat on the back. Man, I nailed that. Okay? Did you see that? That was... And we know that because we tend to boast about it to everyone by putting it on feeds and stuff. Oh, God, thank you that everything that I have is because of you. Man, that, that is not the, if I'm honest, right, that's not the posture of my life. Which then, and this is one of the ones where I was like, man, am I consistently thankful? And I was like, I, I don't know. And so I had to go, man, spirit, where are, where are you and I? Am I keeping step? Is there sin that I, am I quenched you? Right, I'm going to kind of run through the triage, say, God, what's going on? And see if then that pursuit of him walking in the spirit, being filled by the spirit, the ways, we, the ways we just talked, would all of a sudden start leading to this overwhelming thanksgiving in my life for all things. The last one. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, verse, 20, uh, sorry, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence uh, for Christ. Okay. Humble service. Humble service would be the last outward. Joyful worship. Universal gratitude, joyful, or, uh, humble service. That we begin to see each other with the eyes that Christ sees each other. And then we come underneath and we say, let me serve you. I'm not better than you. We are all on the same playing field, which is we're not God, but we are his image bearers and his creation. Called to live like him indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so hear me, the last outworking, look at your life, say, man, is my life marked by humble service? Do I seek to come underneath that? And do I seek to do it in such a way where all of a sudden my name seems big? Or do I come as Christ's meek, poor, seeking to serve those around me? Those filled with the Spirit, okay? And again, hear me, all this stuff is going to look slightly different for all of us because we all have different giftings. We have different skill sets. 
We have different callings. We have different vocations. We have different uh, responsibilities in life. And so it's not going to be, hey, because you were able to show up the second Saturday, another person wasn't, that that makes you more spirit-filled necessarily. It's all what's going on in here and here. And what is then pushing outward? And it starts with us asking the question. So I land here. The most phenomenal, phenomenal passage that always floors me in Scripture is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where you get to see Jesus, a man, God in the flesh, a man, wrestle with his heavenly Father and say, Lord, paraphrasing, can we do this a different way? Is, is there some way else that we can figure this out where you wouldn't have to sacrifice your son? We've talked about this before, that maybe even in Christ's mind, he was going back to Abraham and Isaac. Hey, God, remember when we provided the ram for Isaac so Isaac wouldn't have to die? Remember we did that so the father wouldn't have to sacrifice his son? Can we do that again? Like, I wonder if there were ideas. He was like, hey, but what about this? And God the Father answered the prayer of Christ, which landed with, not my will, but your will be done, by sending his accuser to have him arrested. I think with a gentle whisper saying, no, you are the ram. You are the lamb. You are the sacrifice that must be paid for all of us, for the redemption of the world. This is what he has done, filled with the Spirit of God, embodied, now sent into us that we might live that same way. Humble service, Jesus. Joyful praise, Jesus. Universal gratitude, Jesus. You read the gospel stories, that's Christ, Christ, Christ. And so we land with just knowing that when we pray right now, we are only able to do so because of the gospel. Because what happened in the garden was Christ prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, died the din, death that we deserve to die, lived the life that we could not live, died the death we deserve to die, and was raised on the third day, that we might have new life empowered by the Spirit to go and be redeemers of this world, to be part of the family business. That's our role. Praise be to God for Christ not just leaving and saying, all right, good luck, but saying, all right, I'm out. Here's me for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I often use the language of come, and I, and I, and I get that, but I, I, you're here, like you're present. And so I pray for your, I just pray for you to manifest yourself through the renewing and the, tra- the renewing of our minds, the transformation of our hearts, and the conforming of our lives to that of Christ. Lord, I pray for each and every person in here. First, for the Christian, I pray that they would Right now, by the by the Spirit, be drawn to the things that would so fill their mind with you. That you would uh, maybe intentionally craft and create space uh, in their life for them to intentionally move into what it means to always set our minds on. Maybe, God, if you're calling some to sacrifice certain things so there's enough space and time to be able to I mean, intentionally move towards setting their minds on things of the Spirit, God, would you so do so? 
God, we pray that you would just do amazing and good work in our hearts, and we trust you to do that, because God, you're just, you're wiser than us. And so as a, as, as a bunch of people, Lord, who are at times foolish, God, make us wiser. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your spirit to transform us, to continually make us new, and never let us forget about the one who empowers and gave us all. God, not as an example, but as the necessary sacrifice that we'd walk as you've walked. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.